God, we thank you. For apart from you, there is no good thing. Apart from you, we have nothing. No life, no light, no love. In you, we find everything, God. God, we thank you for sustaining us, for providing for us, for watching over us another week. But God, we confess before you that we have sought satisfaction in other things. We've looked to other things, God, to fill us up. We've looked to other things for security, for happiness, for excitement. For peace. And so God, we confess that to you today that that's not how you want us to live. And so God, just for this moment, for this time that we have here with you, we pray that you would tear off the scales, that you would remove the walls that we put up, the things that we think will keep us safe, God, the protections that we put in place. We don't need them with you. We don't want to be protected from you, God. And so in this moment of rawness, in this moment of realness, God, we, we say, we want you. Whatever it is you want to do here, God, whatever it is that you want to do in our lives, whatever it is you want to do in the world around us, whatever you want to do with this church, God, that you would do it. that we wouldn't fight you on it, that we wouldn't seek to make our own plans and purposes and dreams come true, but that you might be glorified in us, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, God, that you would be glorified God, there's so much that's broken in this world. But not with you. Not with you, God. So God, I pray that you would bring healing. That you would mend 
what is in disarray, that you would repair the broken. That we would seek you above all else. And so God, we pray that the the words of our mouth today, the lyrics that we sing, the thoughts and meditations of our heart will be pleasing in your sight. May you be honored today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. So the last few weeks we have been in our new series called Idols. What's up, bro? How you doing? <laughs> and, and when we, that, that just like scared me a little more than I should have. It's, it's fine. Everything's fine. No. Uh, so, so idols are anything that takes the place of what God should be in our lives, Right? Anything that takes the place of that. And when we say anything, we mean literally anything. John Calvin says that our hearts are like idol factories. And so what we do is we take something that's usually good or or generally of no consequence, and what we do is we elevate it to be of the utmost importance. These things then become a source for our being. These things, uh, they take what rightfully belongs to God, which is our focus, our affection, our worship. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the difference between uh, surface idols and root idols. Now, many of the idols that we can easily identify in our own lives and in the lives of others are, are what we call surface idols. They're just as much as an idol as anything else, but uh, what we see there is just on the surface. It's still sin. I mean, it's still just like everything else, but if we look deeper, what we will actually find is that there are other idols underneath that are driving us in that direction. All right? The surface is just how it manifests itself in our lives. And so underneath that love of money... Underneath that love of material things, underneath that idol of work or that idol of family is this root idol or perhaps multiple root idols that cause these others to exist. And so there are actually four root idols. They are uh, power, control, comfort, and approval. Now, the last couple weeks, we've talked about power and control. And so today, we're talking about the idol of comfort. See, there are so many surface idols that are actually attached to this one that, I mean, most of the things that we, we, we think of, I mean, think about it, money, food, sex, alcohol, materialism, Netflix, you name it. Behind all of these is we find comfort. We seek comfort. Now remember, all idols want us to take the focus off of Jesus and put it somewhere else. And so if we have the idol of comfort taking up residence in our life, what we're actually saying is, uh, my, life, uh, my life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have a certain quality of life or if I have a particular uh, pleasure. I'm not going to be content 
I'm not going to be at peace. I'm not going to be happy unless I experience these certain things in my life. Hear how author and pastor John Piper describes it. He says this. He says, the greatest enemy for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for the banquet of heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemy, but his gifts. The most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable. These are not evil in themselves. They are not vices. These are gifts of God. They're your basic meat and potatoes, coffee and gardening, reading and decorating, traveling and investing, TV watching and internet surfing, shopping and exercising, collecting and talking, and all of them can become deadly substitutes for God. Wow. See, it's not the bad things that are necessarily the most dangerous things in our life. Not the bad things, it's the good things that we allow in, the fun things that we invite in, the exciting things that we decide that we must be a part of that are the most dangerous for us. We say, these things won't hurt us. It's just a hobby. It's just a season. It's just for a time. I deserve a break. I just need to chill. And so we go about our business, our activities, our vacations, our life decisions, saying, this is well within my rights. I am free to do as I choose. I am free to live as I want. And in doing so, we give little or no consideration to God who is supposedly sitting on the throne of our lives. But by that point, it's already too late. It's already too late. We have replaced God with an idol. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. If you have your smartphone, you can find all of the notes and scriptures for today found in the YouVersion Bible app. Just go there and go to the events tab for us. But um, we're going to go to uh, Mark, chapter 10, starting in verse 17. So Mark 10, uh, 17. Please follow along as I read aloud the word of God. Here's what it says. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom 
of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. May God bless the reading of his word. See, this story is commonly referred to as the rich young ruler. It's uh, recorded in three out of the four Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, include this in their accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew tells us that the man is young. Luke tells us that he is a ruler. But all three are sure to tell us that he is rich. So the first thing we need to see here about the idol of comfort is that it robs us of the joy found in Christ. The idol of comfort robs us of joy in Christ. See, when an idol replaces that which we truly want, the desires of our heart, the uh, things we truly need, then we are robbed of its results. What does this mean in real life? Well, if we seek comfort... Uh, we are being robbed of the only thing that can truly comfort us. In the pursuit of contentment, in the pursuit of security and peace and happiness, we run after and we worship the idol of comfort. And in doing so, we rob ourselves of the very thing that was going to help us. We rob ourselves of the very things who which we seek. See how absolutely miserable that this man is. The rich young ruler. Verse 17 says that Jesus is walking along and the man runs up to him and just falls down before him. He falls down before him. He's begging him. He's on his knees. He has it all. He is rich. He is young. He is powerful. He has seemingly all of it going for him. And he runs up to Jesus and he throws himself down on the ground before him. And he, he's practically begging, what do I got to do? What do I need to do, Jesus? Tell me, I want life. Now, while we might be tempted to believe that he's going to the right place, Jesus, for the right reasons, life, we see in his question that it all is not well. He wants to know what he has to do to inherit eternal life. He wants to inherit it. What do I got to do to earn it? I want it to be given to me. Just tell me what's the easiest way to get it. Do you hear what he's actually saying, though? He says, I got money. I got power and popularity, and I thought all these things would bring me joy. But look at me. I'm down on my knees before you. I am begging you to give it to me, and I thought all these things were going to make me happy. But I have them now, and I'm miserable. I'm miserable. See, joy, true joy is found in Jesus Christ. We don't find it anywhere else. 
Sure, this guy, he may have had happiness for a time, but it wears off. The experiences end. The memories fade. That cool stuff that I bought isn't as cool anymore. That new toy, it's not always going to be new. And the stuff that we filled our closets and our houses with becomes just that. The stuff we filled our closets and houses with. Until we die, of course, and then we pass it off to someone else. The things in which we found meaning and value in are then passed to people who find little meaning or value in them. But that's the thing. Things lose meaning. That which has no life can never give life. We can't find the meaning and value that we seek in these things. They can't sustain life. Happiness does not last. But you got to hand it to this rich young ruler. You got to hand it to him. He's trying to course correct. He's like, hey, I want joy. I want life. And it, it says in verse 21, Jesus looks at him and loves him. Jesus looks at him and loves him. Man, this is going to be great. What loving thing is Jesus going to tell him? What loving thing is the face of love going to open his mouth and speak to his beloved? Here's what he says. One thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. Are you sure that was the message you're supposed to give me? I mean, because you, you love me, and that was, I mean, that's the most loving thing you can say? I thought you loved me. I mean, I, I got to sell everything I have? Jesus, that's the one thing I can't give you. His face fell because he knew. Jesus sees his heart and sees what is controlling his life. Jesus sees what it is that he has been worshiping. And so the most loving thing that Jesus could say to the man in that moment is the very thing which will set him free. Jesus is trying to show him the very thing that will bring him joy. Jesus is like, it's me. It's me. I, I got it. Like, I, you, you don't love me, but, but like, you, you love stuff. You love money. But, but I'm the guy who can give you what you want. His heart loves comfort and pleasure and ease. And so he leaves sad, dejected. most loving person to ever walk the earth and he leaves sad and dejected he is still young he is still a ruler and he is still rich but those things make him unhappy 
He leaves unsatisfied. He leaves unfulfilled. I mean, it isn't because Jesus doesn't satisfy and Jesus doesn't fulfill. I mean, it's, it's because the throne of his life is already occupied. There is no vacancy. I, I remember the song back in the day, the singer-songwriter Derek Webb, you may remember the band Cademan's Call, but, but he, he wrote this song when he was uh, on a solo album, and he says, God, I want all the things that you won't give me. God, I want all the things that you won't give me. Please understand that it's not the money or the possessions that is keeping this man from salvation. If all you hear is that you need to go and sell everything you have, then you've missed the point, all right? This man does not have life because he chooses not to follow Christ. He does not have life because he chooses to not obey the words of Jesus Christ. He does not have joy because he's looking for it in other things. He's looking for it in all the wrong places, and it's about the heart. Jesus sees his heart. God calls people to give up things all the time for him, all right? God may call one person to give up something, and that may be totally permissible for someone else. But God looks at the heart, and he prescribes to each individual what is best. He wants you and me and all of us to experience the love and joy in life. And what exactly keeps each of us from experiencing that is different. It's different for you. It's different for you. It's different for me. And in this situation, the rich young ruler, he goes away sad because he is unwilling to do what Jesus wants him to do. He chose to worship and obey the idol of comfort over what Christ was calling him to. And thus he was robbed of the true joy found in Christ. The next thing the idol of comfort does is that it kills our love for the things of God. It kills our love for the things of God. When we say yes to comfort, we are actually saying no to what God wants to do in our lives. Think about it. For those who worship idolatry, they're, uh, for those who worship the idol of comfort, that is, uh, their greatest nightmare is stress and demands. Stress and demands. And so because we want life on easy street, we reject, we reject the very things that are going to mold us, the very things that are going to make us like Christ. I mean, forget about the refiner's fire that purifies us or the pressure of the potter's hands on the clay that is us that will shape us to be like him. We say no to the very things that cause us discomfort. We say no to the things that would make us uncomfortable. We don't want any part of hardship or persecution or famine or storm or trials of any kind. We say no to suffering. And in doing so, we say no to identifying with Christ. Let's face it. We are never more like Christ than when we experience trials and persecutions for our faith. And nothing grows our faith more than hardship, challenges, and suffering. Let me say that again. We are never more like Christ 
than when we suffer or experience uh, trials or persecution for our faith. And we are never grown more in our faith than when we experience those very things. So when we reject suffering in our lives, when we reject that, we reject the notion that God is at work in the world. We reject the notion that God might be trying to teach me something. We reject the notion that God might be trying to change our character. We reject the notion that God is doing something that might seem painful in the moment, but is really for my good. It's really for your good. We don't love the things of God because, frankly, we don't like the ways that God goes about doing things. Suffering for Christ is a gift. Suffering for Christ is a gift. Being inconvenienced by God is a gift. Having my comfort blown to smithereens is a gift. Nobody understands this better than the Apostle Paul. He's sitting in a prison cell. But, uh, the Romans have him captive, and he writes this letter to the church of Philippi talking about his joy and suffering, and here's what he says. He says, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed and will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul loves God and the things of God. And so he's saying here, he's confident that whatever's happened is going to be for his good. He's confident that it's not going to end the way that People think it's going to end, and it's going to end for the good of those who hear about it. And therefore, whether in life or in death, Christ will be exalted in his life. He's so in love with God that he's like, man, if they want to kill me, let's do it. If they don't end up killing me, that's fine too. I'm going to be comfortable with whatever God wants to do with me. He goes on to say this. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ... For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ 
to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. It, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ that you not only would believe in him, but that you would suffer for him. That is the gift of Jesus Christ in our lives is that we would suffer for him. Suffering is a gift from God. Why? Why is suffering a gift from God? Because when things don't go my way, I cling to Christ. When things don't go our way, when we're in low times, we're in trials and tribulations, when we go through those rough times, then we cling to Christ. When we are outside of our comfort zone, we cling to Christ. What's the downside of clinging to Christ? In him we find security and joy and peace and hope and love and life. In him we have those things. They don't appreciate. They don't depreciate. They can't be lost as long as we cling to him. What can this world do to us? I got peace. What can this world do to me? I got security. We have as much comfort as we would ever want in him. And yet the idol of comfort says, follow me. The idol of comfort leads us into the far country. It leads us away from the security we seek. It leads us away from that which will bring us joy, away from peace, away from Christ. The last thing I want us to see today is that the idol of comfort destroys our hope of a faithful witness. The idol of comfort destroys our hope of a faithful witness. Many in this world seem to think that there is nothing worse than being poor. Nothing worse than being in need. I mean, you don't always hear it verbalized, but you certainly see it come out in attitudes. We as a society seem to hold this idea that there is nothing better than having abundance and nothing worse than not having enough. We like full bank accounts. We like full pockets. We like full bellies. We like full pantries. We like full closets. And so when our minds go to helping others, when our minds go to missions, when our minds go to loving others, naturally, many of us go to, show me the poor people. Show me the poor people. Where are those poor that don't have as much as me? I need to help those poor souls. Friends, that is the idol of comfort speaking. That is the idol of comfort at work. There is something far worse than being poor in this world and not having enough. There is something far worse than being physically sick or having an incurable disease. There is a very real place called hell, and people do go there. In fact, Satan wants us to believe that hell is not real, that hell doesn't exist, and if he, if he can't do that, then maybe he can make us believe that uh, heaven really isn't that good. Maybe heaven isn't that good, as in like the person who's like, man, I don't ever want this life to end. I got it all here going for me. 
I want to stay here. And so they believe things here are so great, they never, want to, they never want to leave that. They never want to change. But if Satan can't get us to believe that heaven isn't as good as God wants us to think it is, then maybe he can get us to believe that everybody, or at least most people, will go there. Hell is a real place, friends. Heaven is as good as God says it is. But most people in this world will not find themselves in heaven. I don't know that there's a more difficult truth than that. But most people will not find themselves in heaven. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. What does this have to do with the idol of comfort? Well, first, if we believe that comfort in this life is most important to us, if it's the most important thing, we will not share the good news of Jesus Christ to those who appear to be comfortable. They have all they need. I don't need to share that. The second thing is if we believe that comfort in this life is the most important thing, if we believe that comfort is the most important thing, then we won't ever leave our comfort zone to take the gospel to other tribes, to other tongues, to other nations. We won't even leave our homes or our neighborhoods because we don't want to leave safety and security. In Luke 9, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Because we walk away, or frankly, we run away from that which will make us like Christ, we are found to look very little like him. We do not deny ourselves. We do not take up our cross, and we do not follow him. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Do you see what? The idol of comfort does. The idol of comfort robs us. The idol of comfort kills our love for the things of God. And the idol of comfort destroys. It's the same way with all idols. They seek to kill, rob, destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life. The good news of John 10.10 10 is he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. How do we rid ourselves of the idol of comfort? Well, first we must decide, what is our greatest treasure? We, we got to decide what our greatest treasure is. Jesus tells a story of a man, a man who, who finds treasure hidden in a field, all right? And here's what it says. When the man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. If Christ is our life, if Christ is our greatest treasure, then our, what are we doing even considering anything else? 
If Christ is our life and Christ is our greatest treasure, should we not sell everything we have and go and buy that field? As we said last week, the Apostle Paul, he says that everything is loss compared to knowing Christ. There simply is no comparison. Jesus says that after the man finds the treasure, he runs home. He's so excited. He runs home and he, he I mean, I mean he, he found this treasure in the field and in his joy, in his joy, he's like, not going to need this. I don't need this. Take it. Everything's for sale. See, when you know just how great the other option is, you're willing to give everything else for it. We're able to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him because he is of the highest value. Maybe we don't because we don't value him above everything else. Can we honestly say that Jesus Christ is our greatest treasure? Is he above all? Is he everything for us? Because if he is, then we must orient our lives around him. If he is, we must orient our lives around him. We must follow wherever he leads. We must obey because he is our God and he is our king and he's our greatest treasure. And so we don't store up treasures on earth. We can't take it with us. Our greatest treasure is in heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. He is our comforter. He is our protector. He is our sustainer, our provider. He's our strength and our song. And in him we have everything we ever needed. Isn't it time... Isn't it time to say, Jesus, you are the highest value. I will value nothing else except for you. Apart from you, there is nothing else. So we repent. We turn around. We say, Jesus, you are my all in all. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that your love, your greatness, nothing compares. You give life. Your love pursues us. God, we come to you today and <laughs> say we're tired of running. Fall down at your feet. We look to you, God. Help us to see that which we've been running after in our own lives. Help us to see all the ways that we've sought to make ourselves feel good, the ways that we sought 
to make ourselves feel more secure. The ways that we sought to protect our future, the ways that we seek stability apart from you. And God, when you reveal those things to us, God, we pray that you would tear them down. We throw them on the ground before you, before your throne. Because in you, we have all we've ever needed. help us replace replace that which we've built up in our hearts replace that idol with you with your love your grace your mercy in Jesus name we pray amen Right now, we're going to enter into a time of response. The altar is open for prayer. As the worship team leads us in a song, I'm going to ask that you, you guys stand and, and sing with us and respond however God leads you. Let's stand as we sing together.